This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hi. Hi, everyone. It's Crystal. Crystal just sitting here as the world is still fighting. The pandemic in America is on fire. Um, We thought we would do this uh, special release considering what is happening um, and to touch base. I wanted to let you know, number one, we are recording for season two. So please contact me at info at we-believe-u.com. If you're interested in sharing a story, I am doing it remote. I'm interested to find more people of color so we can get some voices out. So please let me know if you know of someone who wants to talk um, or if maybe if that someone is you. Um, yeah, it's it's hard right now. And honestly, the last thing the world needs is another white person telling people what to do because haven't we had enough of that? It's time to pause and it's time to listen. And that's what I'm doing I'm going to give space to a person of color and their experience being a person of color. That's what the story is about, and that's why I'm releasing it. I recorded this with my friend Crystal back in February. That's right, two Crystals. I've known uh, Crystal for, God, eight or nine years. Is that true? God, that's insane. Um, I didn't know the story you're about to hear until she came on. I met this magical being when I was doing stand-up comedy because she was doing stand-up comedy, and we immediately loved each other. Uh, We were chatting about magic and tarot and love, and we paled around Portland to some mics. Uh, One of my favorite things is that many comedians would comment on us hanging out, and they would be like, oh, it's crystals, you know, two crystals, one black and one white one, but... Crystal would always say, yeah, but always remember she's the dark one because I am. I am darker in spirit. And we would laugh and we would laugh. She's frankly a better person than me. Uh, You will hear it in the interview. I think at one point I said something like, oh my God, I hate him, referring to someone she was describing, like an investigator or something. And uh, she said something much lighter, exposing my darkness, because that's who she is. Crystal's... uh, always amplified the good in everyone around her and still does. After hearing this story, it's a little flooring how much love she can give and how much trust she can give. You know, throughout this entire interview, re-listening to it, I noticed that we both nervously laugh at the peak of her story because it's what her and I do together. It's our dynamic. We have a connection. And I just wanted to tell you that that's how we cope together. You know, it's not to come across dismissal at all because what she went through is horrifying and serious. And it's just our survival skills kicking in in that moment. You know, it's very us. I mean, I even left her little trauma song that she sang at the very beginning when she didn't know I was recording because it's just shows our connection and how magical it is. I did pick a quote for her. I picked a quote from Ingram X. Kendi. He is the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist. I do recommend this book. Ingram says, the opposite of racist isn't not racist. It is anti-racist. What's the difference? 
one endorses either the idea of a racial hierarchy as a racist or racial equality as an anti-racist. One either believes problems are rooted in groups of people as a racist or locates the roots of problems in power and policies as an anti-racist. One either allows racial inequities to persevere as a racist or confronts racial inequities as an anti-racist. There is no in-between safe space of not racists. If you don't understand this, send me your number, email me, let's talk about it, message me on Instagram. I will talk about it. I will call you. I will try to help. This is all I can do is give space to people that don't get it and give space to people that have went through so much, hundreds of years of inequality. In this story, you will hear how she got blamed for crimes that she did not do. You will hear how fortunate she was to have support, how long she had to work to get through, get this shit off of her record, how she had to learn to trust again, and what it was like for her family, what it was like to feel shame for something she didn't even do, how long she had to carry it around, and she still does. But luckily, she made it through. She lived. This isn't the story we always hear. Crystal is a gift in this world, and I am honored to know her and to call her my friend. Her ability to still be able to love so hard as she does and to be kind to, the, to people in her life, to absolutely everyone she meets, is one of the most stoic things I have ever witnessed. To not walk through this world with bitterness. Through this experience, I found myself like flabbergasted, speechless, and just completely in awe of her ability to give and treat others with sensitivity to the world. I love you, Crystal. And I know I will always be the dark one. (laughs) I know. I love you and I appreciate everything that you are. And thanks for this amazing recording that we did together. And thank you for my amazing reading you did that day. It helped me so much. This is one example of so many, so many, many stories. One example of what happens to someone in this country because of the color of their skin. As always, go into this podcast with an open mind, an open heart, and thank you for listening. I just want to make sure I can hear you. I only hear myself, and that's annoying. Living with the trauma, healing through the trauma. That's good. Living with the trauma. I think it's good. We're going right. to do it. Yeah. Oh, shit, I already hit record. Yeah, oh, we're doing that. it. All right, we got a trauma <laughs> got song in there, too. <laughs> I'll have to use it. Are you comfortable temperature-wise? Because it can get chilly down here. Mm, I'm or, good. Okay. Because I'm already getting warm. I'm getting nervous. Always. It's yeah, just like I'll a get m- nervous. and Microphone in my mouth. Go through my shirt. Yeah, me too. I am from Richmond, Virginia by way of Turkey. What? Yeah, by way of Turkey. My dad was stationed at Indrilic Air Force Base near Adana, Turkey. And that is where I was born. Wow. That is where I lived my first year of life, and I remember absolutely nothing. 
That's crazy. <laughs> I didn't know that about you. How interesting. Turkey. So you were born in Turkey. Does that mean you're a dual citizen? You know, I had that option was when I was 18. And at that time, my little teenage brain couldn't comprehend, what? well, I make it all the way to Turkey. That can't possibly be real. So I didn't go for it. Maybe. You still can. I might be able to. Yeah. That's rat. You never know. And so where did you go from? You went to Virginia. So quick pit stop in New York to get an actual social security number, then to Maryland, oh. to Andrews Air Force Base, where my dad was stationed and where he worked until he retired. What was he, what, what did he do? Uh, amongst other things, he was an airplane mechanic, Oh, uh, did some radar stuff, Cool. as well as being a master sergeant. Oh, wow. So you were raised military dad. What about your mom? How is she? What did she do? So my mom was, for the most part, a housewife. Uh, She took part-time jobs here and there, not too terribly often, but she raised me for the most part, and I spent a lot of my childhood time with her. That's nice, maybe. Um, You don't know. You never know, you know. Uh, What about siblings? I have one sibling. She's older. She's 10 years older than I am. Red. Okay, 10 years. Yeah. So, oh. I'm five inches taller, though, so I think yeah. I win. <laughs> you do win. <laughs> you do win. So what was your childhood like growing up, do you think? How would you describe it? I blocked most of it out. Oh. What's really interesting in um, reflecting on my own timeline, there are such huge gaps and blotches and spots, and that experience of having adults around you going remember when this remember when that and I'm like actually I don't I don't have any of that wow yeah a lot of it's gone still so um when did you figure out that that was happening to you that you didn't remember like that it dawned on you that there's something blocked over the years probably the last decade and some change occasionally I've I've had this impetus to write out the story of my life just for myself of what what has what have all these puzzle pieces been mm-hmm. that have constructed the person that I am today and I find that there are just enormous gaps and I feel like I've been able to reconstruct some of it but most of it's through the stories of the adults around me mm. who, who were around me as a child yeah. which feels I am assuming this but feels vulnerable in a way because you're you're trusting a narrative of someone else right essentially which feels probably strange it is odd yeah yeah and like in that really wanting to extract what is my own identity yeah versus what are the perceptions of others who are naturally not going to view the world like i do Mm -hmm. have you asked your parents about that like why I, I've asked them some questions and they're not actually the most direct of humans. Oh. Yeah. Um, and it, maybe not that they don't necessarily view the world through as emotional a lens, but I think it's more about the generation that they were raised in. Yeah. And the idea that you take your emotions outside, mm. which is something that I heard parroted at me through my parents. Oh, I right. get it. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure military had a part 
played a part of that. Right, of course. Right? It's like, super regimented. Like, you're never out of line. You're always on time. You're always, like, spotless and ready to go. Wow. That's a lot of pressure to just be like, just show up, do these things, and don't feel anything. And if you do feel anything, I don't want to hear about it. Right. Leave it. Keep it to yourself. And that's a very odd third culture that I think a lot of people like experience. And I didn't really have words around that, like third culture, for example, until more recently where I'm like, what, what has this experience been? And even in calling my sister and going, how, what was your experience of this since hers was moving around a lot? And I caught the tail end of like being stationed out of the country and being overseas and then being moved from school to school. I didn't have as much of that. I caught like maybe kindergarten to first grade Mm -hmm. rather than my entire adolescence. Which was her her story. Mm -hmm. I imagine. Because she was 10 when you were born in Turkey. Right. Oh, my God. I think it's hard to put myself... It's, it's Even being you, it's hard to have a, just a military situation going on in the house. Right. And that the expectations that um, probably brought upon you. We had some pretty dramatic fire drills when no. I was growing up. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Very serious business in my um, in the bottom of my my closet after we ended up moving from Maryland to Virginia. There was like a a metal chain link escape ladder that was in the bottom of my closet. If the house was on fire, I was to break the window, put a blanket over it, throw the ladder out and climb down. That was the system. Wow protection safety outwardly oh yeah capricorn yeah oh yeah yeah but internally we don't care like essentially (laughs) we will save you from the fire but if you're having any kind of emotional uh distress Mm -hmm. we don't have a ladder for that right and then like and this reconstruction of memories that we're talking about I, i don't think it was until i was in my late teens, early 20s that I heard from my father after it was like the reception after my sister's wedding, a really dramatic story that little me was involved in that I didn't even know was part of my lived experience. Wow. So I'm not clear on the details, but what he was imparting to me was that while we were on living on base, there was somebody who was toting a gun and they were in like the small convenience store mini mart that I happened to be in at the time, and someone was shot. Oh goodness! And the way I heard him telling this story was that he came to uh, to the scene where things were happening, and he picked me up. And the words that came out of my mouth were, "Oh no, Daddy, he's dead. Oh, he's dead." Oh my God! Right. He shared this at a wedding? The champagne had come out. So. Okay. Yeah, so the stories. Did it end funny? Or? Uh, he thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I didn't. I'm just sitting there with my mouth open like, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> that is what little me was experiencing and expressing and that is now completely wiped from the memory bank. Yeah, that's trauma. Yeah. 
That's oh. absolutely drama. Yeah. That's insane. So, okay. So you live in Baltimore. When did you move to Virginia? Or, um, Maryland. And we moved oh, to yeah, Virginia. I just keep saying Baltimore. Why do I think that oh, Maryland close. is... <laughs> so stupid. So stupid. That's not true. I know it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Geography is hard. Yes, and there's more to Maryland than Baltimore. <laughs> like, it's actually... Jeez. So, yeah, when did you move to Virginia? Uh... That was around 1980. See, it's a memory. It's between 1988 and 1990. Okay. It's somewhere right in there. And I remember starting school being very freaked out by having, like, the necessary immunizations before going to school and being held down by my mother while somebody's stabbing me in the arm. That's that's really fun. Yay! School's great. Was this for college or high school? No, this was for like elementary school. Oh, elementary school. Kindergarten or first grade. That's terrible. Mm -hmm. Delightful. Um, But what... uh, One of the large things that seems extremely small was Easter... On the White House lawn during uh, George H.W. Bush's administration. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's a really, really strange memory that came back to me of being stuffed in an extremely floofy dress. And there was this clown that came up horrible, gross makeup, just really, really badly done. And who just booped me on the nose and made like a little squeaky noise. And I was so offended. The only emotion that comes up is being offended. Like by this, I'm like, you're not funny. Your presentation is horrible. And I'm just like judging this, this performer and like feeling really crunchy and violated by this interaction. Mm hmm. As well as, it's such, like, rid- ridiculous stuff that came up for me. And there is an Easter egg hunt, and they had these little wooden eggs. And I was so excited and so ready to go. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get all those eggs. I am so good at this. And I was probably, like, four or five. Yeah. And I get into this pen, and they have, like, hay bales all over the place. And I'm just grabbing eggs, putting them in my basket, and I'm doing such a great job of that. And then... This woman, this tall, thin, blonde woman comes up to me and says, you need to put some of those back Ooh. and leave them for the other children. And I'm like, but I thought I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. And like looking back at that, that very much feels like a pattern of I need to make myself and my ability smaller. Oh, yeah. Such that there is room for other people. Yeah. And, like, that, I feel like, is such a through line for me into adulthood. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it, in a way. Even, like, how you described being raised by... Not that... I'm not judging your father at all when I say this, because I think that it's generational. Like, that it's a different Mm -hmm. way to live when you're in the military. And it is only one way. There's no really other options. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the messaging for you as a little girl could easily see that. Like, you don't be more than what I'm telling you to be. 
Right. Yeah. And also the children are to be seen and not heard dynamic and also spoken and like me as an adult being able to acknowledge that he was also raised in that his father was in the military. His father was in the military. That's how you raise kids. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the regimentation of it. Mm-hmm. And like, no, your your emotions are kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yeah. No, they are. Right. Like, they're not, they don't count. It doesn't count. It's interesting that you felt that even at four and five. Like, you remember having that feeling of um, someone trying to shrink you down, essentially. Like, right. over a wooden Easter egg. Like it's Like, it's your responsibility to light a fire underneath all these other children to make sure they get theirs. I know. It's like, oh my God, it's my fault that you are not nearly as proficient at this activity as I am. So (laughs) let me, let me take what I've, what I've gathered on my own and give that away Mm -hmm. and give that away to others. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel that manifest in high school? Mm Hmm. Definitely. Like I just, I made myself pretty small. Like I focused on academics and I'm like, I'm going to do that. And I will just kind of go along with whatever the friend group is doing. And mm. yeah. Yeah. And I get it. Oh, it might not even be processed yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then in college, where did you go? <laughs> I went to my first pick school which was the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. What is it called? The College of William and Mary. Oh. Yeah. What is the... It's a horrible idea. I... (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell everybody who William and Mary are? I won't even bother. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... I won't, but it's just like... It's this stupid European, like, I am a queer black woman, and my ideal college was the College of William and Mary, where there were probably, like, a smaller percentage of folks of color than there are in Portland, Oregon. Which is unheard of. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. No, it was, it was asinine. Yeah. But somehow I got it in my head that this school was, like, it was, uh, the inroad to the kind of like validation and academic success that I was looking to portray. It's like the public school that um, is perceived as a private. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. That's crazy. Yeah. So do you stay there? Uh, for a little while. And this is the can of worms. Okay. This is my big can of worms. So during my freshman year at college, I came out to myself Mm. and not my family yet. Mm. And that was new to me. And like there, I'd perceived the queer bashing from my parents and just little offhanded comments. And like, I had enough of my own hints. It's like by the things that I love, like I, if I was paying attention, I could have figured it out a little sooner, but things take their own time. So I realized I was queer I also realized I was horribly depressed and had been horribly depressed. I just cried for high school. That's just what I did. I threw myself into studies and I cried. Oh. And um, 
I went to the counseling center on campus for the first time and Oh yeah. I was trying to think of a really good joke to go with (laughs) William and Mary's counseling center, but I couldn't. I couldn't. I wasn't quick witted enough. Damn it. I missed it. Can you put it in later? (laughs) Yes, I will. Good, perfect. I left enough time. (laughs) Clinical depression is what they diagnosed me with like on my first visit. They're like, clinical depression, here's a prescription. So another thing about this particular school is at the time I think it was in the top three for suicide psychologists. What? Yeah. Yeah. There were a number of folks who um who passed while I was there. Oh. Um I didn't know them too terribly well, but there were other friends of mine who had attempted and thankfully there were other folks in my friend group who found them oh before gosh. something happened. Because the school's extremely rigorous and prides itself in that. So I have this prescription. And I go um, to see how much the medication would be. And I'm like, I can't afford that. I don't even have a job. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, Fuck, I have to tell my parents. Oh, yeah. And because of this background of like, we don't talk about emotions. I'm like, well, what do I do with this? Yeah. So I realize I'm queer. I'm clinically depressed now. I feel like I'm distanced from my parents, even though the school's only a 45-minute drive away. And I start drinking, and that's fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and my grandfather dies. I think all of this is in my... Wow, no, that's not true. Weird time brain. That's okay. Reverse, reverse. Mm -hmm. So, I realize I'm queer, Clinically depressed. My grandfather has a stroke. Oh. Um, all in my my freshman year of college, and the follies just just ensue from there. By my second um, second year there, I get a house off just off campus with some other folks, and they're like the anarcho punk coffee yeah. shop. Fun folks, woo! And then I'm having a grand old time with them. And then later there's another rotation of housemates that come in. And I have this funky feeling in my gut. Oh. About and this them. is all still your freshman year. Uh, this was about Ish. Mm, sophomore year. Okay. Sophomore okay. Um, and I just had this funky, funky feeling like in my body, in my gut, in my heart mm. about one of these people in particular. And I said to myself, you know what? I'm being judgmental. Mm-hmm. Of course I can't listen to my intuition. I must be wrong about this. So these folks come to live in the same house that I'm in. And the wave of partying and depression that's now being medicated by, like, I've gone through a couple different antidepressants. So did you tell your parents? I did, eventually. Eventually. And then my dad just kind of in an offhanded way is like, oh, yeah, I've got depression, too. Mm. And I'm like, I really wish you'd mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Did you tell him you were you were queer? That was later. Time? Oh, later. OK, that was later. Right. So you came out with the depression <laughs> essentially first. Yeah. yeah. OK. Yeah. Came out with the depression first. Um, it was really close to coming out 
to them, I think it was a spring break home from college, and I was gonna hit up the old high school with some of my own friends, and we were just in this horrendous car accident. Oh. On the way to visit our old school and our old teachers, there was um, like a Mack truck that tipped the front corner of the car we were in and spun around on the highway and oh. smashed into the guardrail backwards. Um, and we all made it out. Amazingly, like Emerson, like Palmer Lucky Man was playing on the radio as we were spinning around on the highway. Oh my gosh. And it was just like right there on an overpass. Like oh. a little bit more speed and we could have just tipped over the edge. That's crazy. And my I called my mom after that accident to pick me up. And I was going to tell her. I was going to come out to her on the way home. And then I just... Mm-hmm. I just couldn't, I'm like, wow, I almost died. And I just, I still couldn't do it. Right. Yeah. And that took about another, maybe another year of me freaking out and having the usual panic that a lot of folks have about, are they going to disown me? Will I not have a family anymore? How will I support myself? Et cetera, et cetera. And eventually I said, fuck it. Yeah. They were coming down to visit me at the college and I'm like, I'm going to march myself down to the bookstore, get a book written for parents of, like, LGBTQ children. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to offer you tea, and I'm going to tell you. Yeah. And then they were fine. And they were fine, which was amazing, but, like, it makes me feel like a lot of my experience traumas generated from my own misunderstanding. Right. Because of their communication style. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, of course emotions aren't a thing for you. But they are. Naturally, there are. They're people. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It just doesn't look the way that I would like it to or that I'm able to perceive it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And what did they say? They said hilarious things. Um, <laughs> my mother said... Oh, gee, I'm glad you're not pregnant. Oh. Yeah. And my dad said, oh, I guess we're not having grandchildren. Wow. Yeah. And that was that. And they gave me 20 bucks to pay me back for the book. Wow. I don't know if they ever read it, but. That's crazy. Let's call them right now and see. I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Did you ever read that book? I know he didn't. He's not too much for a reader. No. Yeah. So, um, okay, so back to your the, the new housemates that you had a feeling, a bad feeling about your intuition obviously was brewing inside of you at that point. Yeah, I had um, really, really funky feels about them. And they would say things like, Mommy's a psychiatrist, Daddy's a doctor. I can essentially do whatever the fuck I want. Oh, no. You know? Um And so it was like three younger, upper middle class to wealthy white dudes. Yeah. And um, most of my previous really sweet housemates had moved out. And so the depression spiraling, I've gone through Paxil, I've gone through like Wellputrin and other stuff, and it's not really working for me. I take a medical withdrawal from the school, and after like a semester away, they won't let me back in. Oh, no. Because of that legacy of folks committing suicide and 
like not being okay in this place. It's really rigorous and has Portland-like weather for no damn good reason. And is also across the street from Colonial Williamsburg where they're like reenactors. Yeah. Like I knew slave reenactors. Mm-hmm. That's a job. Yeah. That's Ugh. freaking horrifying. And like in my, because I am this um, intuitive and spiritual leaning person, like I just, felt the darkness of the oppression and of the racism that was still lingering on campus. Like I remember this one tree that every time I I couldn't like walk that direction without like giving it a really, really wide um, breath because or birth because I just always perceived the shadow, the shadow of a body hanging from this tree. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, holy fuck, I feel that in every cell of my body. Yeah. So, as the story continues, I end up um, going back home and living in my parents' basement. And I'm at, like, the local college doing my thing and trying to find my grounding again. And I've come home from whatever classes I was in, likely feminist theory or or math thing or yelling about Chaucer. And I was going to screen print some shirts, write a paper, and study for a test. And then I start perceiving these red and blue flashing lights, and I'm in the basement of my parents' home. And then over a megaphone, I hear... Crystal, we know you in there. It's the police. Crystal, we know you're in there. It's the police. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> what? What What does that even mean? And I've been on the phone with my sister, and she's kind of getting the account of, of what's going on and that I'm confused and freaked out. And, like, I just, I'm just flown out of my body because... I don't know what the hell is happening. And I, I call my father, who knew some people in like a different police department. And it's like, maybe I can help figure out what's going on right now. And he told me not to do anything until he got home. And I was just rocking back and forth in the dark corner of the basement like with these red and blue flashing lights just oh my god just flashing off all of the walls of this basement and I'm like oh my god and I could hear them walking around on the back patio and I could just perceive movement everywhere and the house was on a corner and so it was absolutely surrounded horrifying and then I hear the megaphone again I say, Crystal, we talked to your father. It's okay to come out. And that was a lie. So, I know that I'm surrounded. And I start walking upstairs towards uh, the back door where they are. And, like, because I was hanging out with the radical anarcho-punk kids... We watch a lot of the cop watch videos and it's like, all right, this is what I'm supposed to do to help keep myself safe. I know my rights. Mm -hmm. And 
I open the back door and I keep the screen door closed, but it doesn't hold. The door just doesn't hold and like they grab the handle and it just opens. And they're like, come on out. And I'm like, well, that was my plan. That was my grand plan, my grand protection for myself to ask for a warrant from behind a closed screen door. And that was gone and I was standing on the back porch well, one of the police officers is trying to make small talk with me about, like, a local football game that I give couldn't give two shats about. Mm-hmm. Well, they literally send a SWAT team into my parents' home. What? Well, I'm the only one alone. And this was very planned. Later, I found out that the police considered uh, this act shock and awe. Oh. And that I had been followed. There were... These just inconspicuous black cars that seemed to be wherever I was around town. Oh, my God. I I was followed by the FBI. And my friends were. And they knew I was home alone. And it was their plan to get me that way. And I am just asking for a warrant, and I'm asking for a warrant. And I'm like, what is this about? And then they ask me if I have some ID. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> My wallet is downstairs in the basement where I was. I can take you to that. They all have guns. What else am I going to do? Oh, my God. So I go back downstairs, I grab my wallet, I I show them my ID, and I'm like, can I see a warrant? And they they take out three pieces of paper, money laundering, felony, burglary, felony, breaking and entering, felony. I'm like, there's a problem here? I'm not a burglar. And then they asked me an inane question. Is there somewhere that we can talk? I'm like, there happens to be a living room upstairs. How about I take you there? Hmm. So the, the, the accounts that they gave you were money? Money laundering. Okay. Breaking and entering and burglary. So all of a sudden, there are three pieces of paper that are all felonies. And I'm, I'm in my very early 20s. Just trying to, trying to make sense of what's going on. Like, yes, there were college shenanigans. Maybe I took a Hot Pocket once. Right. You know, kind of shit. Yes. But I'm like, what the literal fuck is this? And they start showing me pictures of my old housemates. And I'm like, I I don't know. I don't know. I don't. What's going on? Can you tell me what's going on? What's going to happen to me tonight? And the photos that they showed were from a security camera at a college that they'd broken into. And it seems that they'd broken into several colleges and universities up and down the East Coast. 
So what I later found out was the full story was that they'd done that, stole like a hundred K worth of like tech from these colleges, sold them to a pawn shop. Funny that in Baltimore <laughs> call back. Yeah. In Baltimore and had a check written out to their boss who they said was me. Oh my God. And I was being the responsible one some years ago and paying the rent to the landlord who was equally sketchy in Williamsburg, Virginia. And I vaguely remember this, this check and this whole thing because I was self-medicating and like, Going through your things. Going through my own damn depression. Yeah. And I'm like, why are you giving me a check? You know, the landlord wants cash. And I'm like, I'm working triple shifts at like the bar across campus. I can't. I don't have time. Like my bank is only. This is like before mobile deposit, which would have been amazing for me then. Yeah. However. Yeah. It's like my bank is like two hours that way or two hours that way. I don't have time. Yeah. Here's my information. Go deposit it for me. And there's my mistake. Oh my God. And that right there was my mistake and how they attached me to all of this of living with these people, of being written a check as their boss. If they'd bother to look at my transcripts, they would see that math is not my thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently they looked at everything else. So. Um, oh my God. So I'm sitting in my parents' living room and just refusing to answer. And I start saying, what's going to happen to me tonight? What's going to happen to me tonight? And there's this investigator. I was in my parents' living room with this like stupid like bleach blonde white hair and these electric blue eyes and he says this to me it was not a question it was a statement you don't want to be just another inner city youth gone wrong do ya oh god i hate him he's the worst human what the i can't believe that happened to you like, that is, I am sorry that that happened to you. Like, those fucking bastards. It's fucking insane. Yeah. It was insane. Horrifying. And it broke me for a long time. Of course it did. I mean, of course it did. Mm -hmm. That's like, that's like ripping your freedom. And I can't imagine my privilege of freedom is different than your privilege of freedom. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I can't, I just can't imagine. Like, it makes me so mad. I'm mad that that happened to you. I'm mad that that was, so you had FBI following you this whole time due to, so what, what did, um, what happened to you that night? What did they do? So that night after I'd been asking, well, it's going to happen to me tonight. Yeah. Um, 
They give me the stand up and turn around. They handcuffed me. Oh my God. They marched me out the front door of my parents' home. My family was in the front yard. Oh, Jesus Christ. My parents were in the front yard. My aunt was in the front yard. A metric fuck ton of cops were in the front yard, and I got to see all of these cars surrounding my home. There was also a film crew there. From the news? Local news station or something? From America's Most Wanted. No. Yes. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I fucking know. (laughs) You fucking can't. It's the most, it's literally the most ridiculous, like, thing to ever have occurred in my life. (laughs) And so many. Yeah. So. Right. And, and I'm just like, what? Oh, it's like, you guys, I totally just asked you what was going to happen to me tonight. This is not what I expected. Yeah. I was not calm. I was. Yes. Of course you were not calm. I was not in my body. I wasn't you even You weren't even there. in your brain. You were not there. Yeah. Absolutely. No. You how, Fucking gone. Yeah. I would be gone too. Totally gone. I'd be uh, somewhere else. Completely. Like. I don't even know. Like, I... Holy shit. So you had... They, they arrested you and took you down? hmm Not only did they arrest me, they... It's very nice. The, uh, the cop who drove me actually let me pick the radio station. Oh, God. I got to listen to some 90s alt-rock. My oh. fave. Um, so they didn't just take me straight to jail. They put me in a little room... With a little lamp and interrogated me for about five hours. Or was it eight? I don't remember. Yeah. It was a long time. And they got some statements out of me. I mean, one hour and that situation, like one hour of that situation feels like eight. Right. I I mean, I can't. So they interrogated you about your old housemates. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, So they just kept asking me questions and asking me questions. And like, I've never had a lawyer in my life. Right. I really don't like crime procedurals either. Like, I'm not paying attention to that part of things. Um, And so I write a statement about, like, yeah, I saw them doing shitty things. And, like, I don't know, being really dumb teenagers and 20-somethings. So they take me to jail. And I squat and I cough and... Like, wear a horrible blue jail uniform, and I'm in this holding tank with this chick who is just, like, vomiting up heroin, and it is just the grossest, and then they, they, uh, they take me up to where, like, the kind of general population is, and I'm just dragging this ugly green mat with me, and, like, a toothbrush, and I'm like, all right. So, here we are. What the fuck do we do now? But even amongst this, they were like... So, that was a really, really interesting experience of being in jail and being able to talk to these other women. Oh, I I can imagine. About what was going on with them and why they were there. Even though everybody's like, don't talk to anybody. I'm like, fuck it. Yeah. That that's just a narrative that serves to con- like 
continue to separate us Mm -hmm. and distrust each other. Yeah. And there were women who were in there because they were trying to protect their children. There were women who were in there because they were trying to protect their partners. Mm -hmm. There were folks who were Mm self-medicating. There were folks who were trying to protect their property. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like when you get down to thinking about it, it's all reasonable. Yeah. Like, or if not reasonable, it's understandable and like justifiable in the heart of an individual. Yes. Yeah. Survival. Right. It's survival. Yeah. Right. So I'm, I'm in the cell and like after like the first, first day I have a meal, there is milk in a bag, which is the literally the grossest fucking thing. Never say thing. that again, actually. Never say <laughs> That again. <laughs> it's gross. <laughs> uh, Ziplock-a-moo. God. Yeah. Um, and I get, there's there's a woman with some paper and pen. She's been there long enough to be able to go to, mm. like, uh, I don't know what they call it, wherever you can, like, buy stuff. Um, and I ask her if I could have a piece of paper or two and borrow her pen for a while. And she's like, yeah, just don't go writing a novel. And like thank you so much and what I started writing down were just like little bits of poems lines Mm. from songs tiny bits of memory my own poetry about what was happening in the moment as well as I started trying to reconstruct the timeline of me meeting these people and everything that ensued after and like I didn't even remember the thing about the check right until I was writing that out and I'm like oh fuck that was it and the next day, my parents visit me. Well, it's my parents, my sister, and an uncle, I think. They come and they visit me in jail. And it breaks my father. Oh. Because that's what, in all of his Capricorniness, he was trying to protect me from my entire life. Yeah. Because he knew. he's He's lived life as a black man in this country. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he never wanted to see his daughter go through that. And he was witnessing it in the in real time. And no control. No. Behind bulletproof glass. What are you going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do? Um, my mother compliments the uh, shade of blue I'm wearing. She says I look very good in it. And then my sister scooches both of them out of the way. And I can take my piece of paper with my timeline on it out of my waistband and hold it up against the glass so she could copy it down so they could take it and give it to the lawyer and try to figure out what the hell's going on. Oh my God. And like, she's on it. She is cognizant. She's just copying it all down so fast. And then my time's up and that's it. And like my, my partner had also, my partner of a couple of years at that time, she'd um, driven up to come see me too. So I'm like, did she see me? Did she call me? I don't even know anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a blur, I'm it's sure. It's such a blur. Yes. And then, like, a couple more days go by. There's somebody who comes in who's like, ha my name's Miranda. Like, the rights, they ain't read ya. Which was hilarious. Um, 
I played Monopoly. We joked about the get out of jail free card. There was almost a brawl because half of the folks in there were watching Ocean's Eleven and the other folks wanted to watch a football game. Ooh. So I just slunk to the back of my cell. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Fuck that. I don't need that noise. And there was this one particular really beautiful moment. Somebody, the canteen, I guess that's what they called it. Um, She'd purchased a little bit of candy. She had some Jolly Ranchers. And, like, I was just listening to the other woman talk, and it was a red Jolly Rancher. And she smashed it on the floor. It was still in its wrapper. And then she opened it up. And each of us, she gave each of us just a little shard of candy. Aww. Just, like, a little bit of sweetness in, like, this horrifying situation. Mm-hmm. And so I was, like amongst my own turmoil learning so much about humanity right and like how how that can be in so many spaces and like we um were taken outside for exercise and there are these high fucking walls but the sky is so blue above it Hmm. and just watching these birds fly over it and if, if you can't tell, I'm a pretty posy person. <laughs> so I'm I'm just like hanging on for dear life for yeah. like yeah. Um, anything that can help banish the shadows that I was experiencing. So then I'm extradited about two hours north. I have no clue what time it is. Wait, though, how old were you when this happened? You had to have been 21, 22? Like 22 or 23. Okay. Maybe 23. I think I just had my birthday. Wow. Um, so I don't know what general practice are practices are for extraditing someone. Yeah. But what they did is they handcuffed me. They shackled my ankles. And... There was a chain between the handcuffs and the shackles on my ankles. And I'm like, "Are is this fucking real? Yeah, is this necessary? Right. It's like, for anyone. Right. For anyone. And then, of course, for me, it's hearkening back all of this, oh, like, ancestral yeah. experience and epigenetics is real. And I am panicking and I am <gasps> so tired. And the two policemen who are in the front of this car are very large, very tall, very muscular, and very white. And I'm so tired, and all I want to do is sleep, and I don't feel safe. Yeah. And I can't even move. So they get me to where I'm going and put me in a holding cell. There's another woman in there, and she is petite and older and really obviously scattered. And the cell is so, so cold. They are playing Fox News very loudly. Like, and she's talking about her medications. And, like, I'm trying to get the attention of folks who are passing by. Like, hey, she says she has some medications. Do you have those? It seems like she might need them. Do you have a blanket? It's so cold in here. And nothing, and no responses, and just kind of like, yeah, whatever. God. 
right? And like how much severe othering must people who work in law enforcement do every day to not see any kind of kindness, humanity, compassion, compassion, morality, any of it. So meanwhile, my father takes all the money out of his savings account to post my bail. Oh my God. And he speaks to a judge, I believe. And he's like, you know what, sir? After talking to my father, he's like, don't worry about it. What? Yeah. Yeah. However, it's a, they had some, some pretty solid miracles in there between that. And there was a lawyer. I don't remember their name. Um, but my parents didn't have one up there, but she volunteered to speak on my behalf pro bono while I was in the cell. And I'm just like, I'm cooked. I'm just cooked. It's been like five days of this nonsense. Plus being extradited. I have no sense of time or space and I'm released. And then I'm like, Oh, catch and release. All right. I'm, I'm just out again. What? And I see my parents and they kind of hug me and they're really excited, of course, for me to be out of this situation. And I am just a husk. Right. I'm a husk. And he has one of, um, one of the folks from my college who I used to stop into her office a lot and talk to her on the phone. And he's like, do you want to say hello? And I'm like, I, I can't. I just. Yeah. And then I was gone. I think for the better part of the next couple of years. Mm. I was just on the couch. Like I couldn't go. I didn't want to be back in my bedroom in my parents' basement because they'd rifled through everything. Everything was just like flipped. There were papers everywhere. They took my laptop. I was in school. I was, I was actually, I think the, the year I was planning on graduating, yeah. but it just didn't, it didn't go. It didn't work. Well, of course it didn't. Yeah. Did they, so obviously there was a trial in situation and you were dismissed from all charges. Yes. Yeah. I would, I mean, I'm assuming that. What about them? Um, I, th- I believe one of them got a year um the other one i believe snitched on the other two and got weekends and there was another one who ran oh wow and i don't think anybody's seen or heard from him since really yeah so i don't know so i can only assume that it was just like yeah, like PTSD galore from yeah. that situation. Like, I- Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Just trying to... Well, I had been working in a coffee shop. I could not do that anymore. My mugshot had been all over the local news. Oh it's God. not a big town. And I'm like, I can't be outside. I tried to go to a high school reunion, and I couldn't look anybody in the eye. There was like a... 
Oh. An old teacher's husband who was like, you look so familiar. And I'm like, oh my God, I need, I got, I got to get out of here. I can't even be here. And then I just isolated and. Yeah. 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 I mean, they stripped identity from you. Yeah. Like. Everything I thought I, the person that I thought I was didn't exist anymore. Yeah. And the people that, like, you once trusted that knew you mm-hmm. are questioning right. you. Right. And you didn't ask for that. Nope. You didn't do anything wrong. But here's another level of it. I felt like I had. Shame. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because I was, tr- I was self-medicating because of the depression. I felt like I'd done something wrong because I was hanging out with these people. Yeah. I felt like I had done something wrong because I let, I felt like I let my family down. So I felt like I did something wrong and I was so ashamed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't really want to exist anymore at that point. And I had so much anger and I didn't, I just turned it all inward and like the entire time, because it took a long time. It was, it wasn't until, uh, 2010 that everything was expunged from my record and also acknowledging how privileged, privileged and like that, that occurrence happened to me because that could not be the case just because of the world that we live in that the country we're in the legal system that we that we tolerate and continue to tolerate for whatever reason that that could have very easily not been the case and then i would absolutely be done for right but then how many folks are out like existing in the world with records and rap sheets and Things that they didn't actually earn. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the fact that it was so public, too. You know, like, your trauma was publicized. And the narrative was told incorrectly on top of it. Oh, yeah. Which I guess essentially about trauma. Why we're here. Right. Right? Like, someone else does something to someone else and the narrative changes to their narrative and we're stuck with shame which i think is absolutely normal and how one i don't know like translates that and processes said trauma right and shame from it is you know i guess on their own terms to reconcile but i always say like don't feel shame because of shame, <laughs> which makes no sense. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do understand that why you would, I would feel that way. Like putting, trying to put myself in your shoes, which is almost impossible, but I would feel that way too. And I would, I would isolate and internalize it and not like myself in the I, situation. I was not about myself, but like it was all my fault. And it um, wasn't. And it wasn't like I'm not the one who decided it was a grand old idea 
to go break into a bunch of colleges and universities. I'm not the one who betrayed a friend and decided that, yes, you are my boss. We'll have the check written to you. Oh, I forget whether I mentioned the pawn shop in Baltimore was run by the mafia, supposedly. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, I don't know which one. Not my my business. Literally. Right. Right. So did you ever see those motherfuckers? Oh, well, hmm, at least one of them. Really? Yes. Um, I refused to to go testify against them. I did not want to see them when court was still happening, but I graduated from the small, like, smaller hometown. It's not really small, but the hometown college um, at the end of 2010. And this had been such a slog I'm like, woo, all right, I made it in under a decade. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> um, with like a dual major and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm getting back on track and I have my family with me. I have my partner with me. And because I was doing a dual major, I had a choice between which graduation to go to. I could either go to women's studies mm-hmm. or I could go to English and uh, we also had my grandfather, who is in a wheelchair. And I'm like, you know what? How about let's go to English? It's closer to where we are right now. And even though I think I had more personal connection and affinity for the other folks, I'm like, it's closer. So they start calling names. And I'm like, woo, I'm going to walk, going to be done. And the name that they call right before mine. No. Yes. Yes. It's one of the old housemates. I had no clue he was even in town. Oh, my God. And I'm like, I can't even have this. Yeah. I can't even have my own freaking college graduation and have that as a moment of celebration for myself. Yeah. Like, and it just, it sucked all the air out of me. (laughs) If there are any pictures of me... Like walking across the stage, I'm I I'm sure my face is hollow. Yeah, yeah, and just disbelief. And I'm like, apparently, I can't have anything. Yeah, I won't even look at my diplomas. Oh, I can't. Right. Well, I bet you I can now. Yeah, but barely. <laughs> right. I've threatened to use them as toilet paper many times. I I can understand. <clears throat> what did you um? What have you done to try to heal from this? And how does one begin to heal from something like that? Mm, so very interesting timing for me. Um, during the last maybe year of being in and out of court, I started hanging out at this metaphysical shop in my hometown. And I started seeing the word Reiki everywhere. And it was at this place that I'd go and I'd do like weekly meditation. And I found that really helpful. And I'm like, what is this Reiki thing? And there happened to be somebody in the shop giving 15 minute free sessions. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to see if it's real. That's really mm-hmm. fun. And I took my skeptic partner at the time with me and it it was so real and it felt like magical Christmas <laughs> to me of like, wow, yeah. I really feel things moving in my body. I feel like I'm in it now. 
Um, and that was extremely different. So I asked a couple of my friends and they all recommended the same teacher and I began working with her. Mm. And that's how I got to healing work because I sure as hell needed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Um, I think I don't, I shouldn't say, I think I know from my experience that, um, many people when dealing with any kind of trauma go to, uh, emotional talk type therapy Mm. and we skip the body completely where Mm -hmm. the body holds Mm -hmm. so much of our thoughts, like everything I'm saying, my body is feeling it. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate that that's, I mean, you just stumbled upon it because you happen to be at the right place at the right time. But I appreciate Mm -hmm. the fact that you worked like with that first, you know, like said, I, my body's responding to this and I'm feeling these things. And, um, cause I think trauma does, it, it, it does, it does a number on your systems that are functioning, you know? Right. It does. And I tried therapy, um, Shortly after it all went down, mm-hmm. well, and what ended up happening a couple sessions in is the therapist dumped me. Ugh, yeah, the worst. It's because what do you get about maybe eight sessions and then you're done? Hopefully, woo, you're cured, you're never, healed, get out never. of here, right? Right, and maybe at about session six, she's like, you know what? I think we're spinning our wheels here. I think we're done. So insensitive. It could extremely. I mean, what could have? There's so many different ways that person could have worded that. Like, right? We're not working well together. So I'm going to recommend someone else. Right. I don't think we're a match. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not helping you. You know, like there's so many different. It's happened to me before. So like, I just it irritates the shit out of me because I'm just like, can't you just say, hey, don't put it on you. The patient. Right. Like That's what I'm here for in the first place. Right. Stop it. Can I just go to therapy without being having a fear of rejection? Like, uh, yeah, that would be dope. It's like, oh, yeah, what happened to you today? Got thumped by a therapist. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then I'm like, wow, here's a system that addresses body, mind, heart, and spirit. Yeah. 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 This is what I want. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm sure that there's a, an slew of well no you tell me what what issues like just to name them off do you think going through what you went through that you received from (laughs) you know i mean besides we talked ptsd but i mean i'm thinking like instantly i was like how do you trust somebody again that took a long time trust took a really long time as well as the kindness that comes with trust and community because i did withdraw from everyone i knew for the most part aside from the folks i was directly living with and like i barely visited my parents because of all the shame that was on top of that yeah of like wow i did this to you (sighs) i made you experience this and get dragged through this whole system and saga and one of the, the curious ways that I ended up realizing that the bit about trust and kindness and how I was afraid to love um, and also very afraid to be touched yeah, um, was at our like 
local queer community center, there was this performer coming through from New York. And she was doing a one-woman show about, it was an anti-bullying show. Oh. And she was so colorful and so vulnerable and so honest. And like, I'm sitting there, I'm with my partner and we're both like, oh, that's cute. And then we go home. I get out of the car. I'm about to walk inside and I break down. Mm. Because that's the moment that I realized that I'd lost my kindness. And the ability to be vulnerable with people. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. And I, I also decided, no. Right. You took so much from me, you yeah. doofers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're not taking that too. Yeah. And so it was slow, very, very slow. But then I started to build back up and to make friends again and to reach out to some of the people, not all of the people who had been reaching out to me. And a a lot of the time I didn't talk about what, what had happened. I just fucking wanted some company and somebody to help get me out of my own damn head. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. So Reiki was a helpful. And then besides your parents, was there maybe your old partner who helped you? Oh, absolutely. Oh, they, she saw so much. Yeah. She held me through so much. Oh. So much. I was a hot mess. Right. Yeah. Of course you were. Because I wasn't there. Yeah. And she was holding so very, very much. Hmm. That's awesome. I know. So I will be forever grateful to that person. Yeah. For just being present with me when I was not being present for myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's magic. And someone's capable of doing, to do that Mm -hmm. and giving, to be so giving and uh, understanding and sensitive and compassion, like all those things, Mm -hmm. you know, having someone by your side to comfort you and know that you're actually not crazy. I'm sure you felt that way. Oh, batshit. And you're not. (laughs) You weren't. That's what you had to process. You were processing and attempting to, it was your the start of your healing, you know, you have to go through that. Right. I mean, I, you, I think you said 2010 was when everything was erased. Yes. That was just 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I instantly Amazing, was like, huh? oh my God, <laughs> it's a decade ago. Yeah. And I moved away from home. Yeah, at the very end of 2012. And I know that part of that was also the, I need a fresh start. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. I get that. Reestablish. Yeah. Yeah. Find who you are. Yep. Reroute, try new things without the, that kind of baggage. Yeah. Of coming from a fairly small city and. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, what happened to you is so unfair. It's enraging. And I'm really sorry that you went through that. Were you ever on um, America's Most Wanted? Um, so 
whatever video they took from my arrest was not aired. They did have my name included in the write-ups about the other doofers um, for some time until I believe my my father contacted mm. them and was like, uh, hey, can you take this down? Charges are gone. Stop it. And he and my family hold, held up so much mm. of the paperwork and so much of the legal stuff and so much of just getting a lawyer and, like, stewarding me through meetings and, like, I, I, I don't even know how I can ever be thankful enough for that. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they know because of who you are. And honestly, like, this took a turn. Because it started out. <laughs> You're like, I did not think we were going. Here. I was like, I'm not, I think I actually said at one point, like, I'm not judging your father right now, but like I said, but. And now I'm like, your dad's amazing. He is like, amazing. I mean, your family. Both of them are, yeah. Of them are. yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's pretty fucking phenomenal what they, um, what they did and uh, stood for you. They stood for you. And mm-hmm. um, said, no, you know, this isn't okay. And we're going to make sure you are. Right. And then what I ended up finding out is, oh, they're just not talkers. Yes. But they're doers. They're doers. How They're doers when you need it. Yes. Like when you need it the most. They've got the ladder for your they fire safety. Bat. Like they, they went to bat. They did. They grabbed that fucking Ooh. metaphorical ladder and just laid it out and said, crawl down the ladder. You know, yep. it's fucking amazing. I want to, I want to know them. Um, yeah, your parents are fucking badass and you're a badass. It's like an apple tree thing, I think. Because can you imagine, Crystal, like if you didn't have them? Oh my God. I mean, you know, above Done. everyone, how Done. people are alone in the world and they don't have it. They don't Absolutely. have it. Like without... Without good people, without any kind of support network that, like, is not willing to lean show in. up. Show up, lean in, show up. Completely yes. when it's needed. Yes. I don't know where I'd be. It's amazing. I'd, right. And I think that's what it was. Oh, yeah. I forgot that other part. They they went gallivanting in Amsterdam. Oh, they did? After they committed the burglaries. Oh. They went to go party in Amsterdam. And then they came back? Until the heat died down. Oh. Right. So they were just living it up. I hate them so much. God, they're such fuckheads. Can't believe you went through that. I know. And then their lives continue. They're likely lawyers or oh yeah, owners of some business somewhere and like... I, I still very much find all the ways that I keep myself extremely small. Mm. But I'm learning. Right. And I'm expanding. And it's it's not from, like, that kind of external validation that being, like, a cis white male who came from a family that's well off or well enough off, like, is just gifted with upon arrival on this planet. Yeah. But just... Building myself up from the inside out. Because I don't expect anybody to just, like, give that to me. Right. No. 
kind of entitled bullshit's that? Something that you will never understand, thankfully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thankfully. Oh, my God. But I think you're on the path of uh, making yourself bigger. Oh, yeah. I mean, just doing this alone is huge. I never knew this about you. I mean, and I understand why. You know, like, that's a big thing that it's happened to you. Huge. It's fucking huge. Yeah. And it sounds made up. <laughs> Crystal, thank you so much for coming on. Wow. And if you want to take action and support her right now, you can go to bloomingfirehealing.com. Crystal's an intuitive empath and a Reiki practitioner and an amazing tarot card reader, just a magic maker all around. Um, You can find her on Instagram. I will share all this stuff with you on our social media, but you can go get a reading right now if that's something you'd like to do. Crystal's nonprofit choice, just for the record, she's been a part of a nonprofit called Sisters of the Road here in Portland, and their mission is Crystals of the Road exists to build authentic relationships and alleviate the hunger of isolation in an atmosphere of nonviolence and gentle personalism that nurtures the whole individual while seeking systematic solutions that reach the roots of homelessness and poverty to end them forever. Crystal's a badass. Crystal's parents are a badass. She's a badass. She has spent years with Sisters of the Road trying to make the world better. Um, pretty amazing. If you want to uh, do something in reference to the world being on fire in this horrible war um, that we are all in, we are both in agreement that you should support Don't Shoot PDX. On their website, it says, Our organizational work and activism, including direct communication education workshops, support the outreach of our continued advocacy as first respondents and has helped community members contribute through direct engagement and legislative value. They are absolutely amazing. Again, that's Don't Shoot PDX. Also on their website, it says there are a vast amount of policy-based assets influenced and being harnessed in our strategic building of relationships and networks used toward the shift in culture and systemic discrimination. They really focus on the front line, man. They get out there and they have just the best spreadsheet I have seen currently on how to help right now, how to get people out of jail, where to put money. So I will also post that. Don't shoot PDX. They're amazing. (sighs) I hope you're doing okay and I love you. And please keep your head up. And again, if there's anyone out there that is interested in talking to me and sharing their story, I'm here. And uh, moving forward, as always, think about that compassion that we always talk about. Got to have compassion for yourself and for everyone around you. Take care of yourself and I love you. See you on season two.